If you have your Bibles, um, I'm eventually going to get to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And we've been talking in the series Inside Out. And uh, I'm not going to do a review today uh, for a couple different reasons. Because if you're really interested in hearing the whole series of sermons, and there's been a number of teachings laid down now, you need to go to either YouTube or Facebook on our legacy page and you can get all of those messages and catch up. Uh, but we're talking about how life will only work right when we live from the inside out. You cannot live from the outside in. How many of you know that now? Because I guarantee you something's going to be thrown at you from the outside that if you allow it, it will mess your whole life up. But when the inside is right and operating as designed, you can begin to have dominion over outside circumstances. And as we uh, continue here, the key point is that you and I as believers must access God's power that is in us. There is a power. If you have confessed Christ as Savior, if you've opened up your heart, the Holy Spirit is at work. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world i'll say that again greater is he that is in you than he that is in the so you must learn to access god's power in you again i'm just reminding quickly ephesians 3:16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit where everybody together where in the inner man what difference does that make? You drop down to the 20th verse of that same chapter. He says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And so we've been talking about this. We've been laying it down. Hopefully you've been listening because we're giving you the keys to victory and I hope it's so important that you're taking close note. Your imagination is God's canvas upon which he paints a picture of his plan, his will, and his purposes for your life. This is very important. We've been zeroing in now in the mind. We've already taught all the different aspects of the outer man and the inner man. And now we're just zeroing in on one aspect of what goes on inside of you, your imagination. And this is important because your imagination is where God's going to paint a picture concerning your future. And what he has, hear me, what he has for your future, not necessarily what you want. Because remember, our life is not our own. Therefore, he's painting a picture and you cannot get to where he would have you to go unless you can see where it is you're going. Does that make sense? So your imagination is the place that he begins to paint this picture in your mind. And this is critical because this is the birthplace for all miraculous activity. I believe this with all of my heart. This is the birthplace for all miraculous activity. I am convinced that your imagination is the portal for the supernatural realm. Why would I say something like that? It's because God's painting a picture. The picture that he painted is exceedingly abundantly above anything you could ask or think, right? So in other words, you can't get there on your own. And so he's painted this picture 
that you can't get there on your own. Therefore, it's a picture of something that must begin to take place that will take miracles to get there. Supernatural activity to get there. And so that's why God has you dream these great dreams. He's not, he's not allowing you to see these amazing things in your imagination, these possibilities that he's painting in his will that, that are overwhelming or seem impossible simply because he has this diabolical need to frustrate you. But God paints it in order that you might be solicited to faith, to believe him that what you are seeing while it looks impossible with god what all things are possible so as a christian by design you are going to have to learn how to live in two realms this is just everybody here that says i'm a christian you're going to have to learn to live in two realms one realm, obviously, is the natural realm. We all have to learn to live in the natural realm. How many of you know? I'm going to go eat lunch after service. Hopefully, we can beat the Baptist there. If pastor, you know, can, can keep it, you know, kind of in, 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 in the bounds, you know, maybe we can beat him there this week. We're going to eat. We're going to, we're, we're going to go to work. We're going to interact with people. There's a lot of natural things that are going to come our way. And we've got to learn how to live in the natural realm. But at the same time, we're going to have to learn to live in the spiritual realm. Now, we're more experienced with the natural because we use the outer man far more regularly. And now, whether or not that's good or bad, that's, that's the truth of the matter. Our outer man gets used regularly. Our senses get used regularly. And so daily, even hourly, all these things are in operation. Spiritually, though, we aren't as used to living in that realm, which is one of the reasons why we've been telling you we must pray. Because praying automatically forces you into that other realm. And you've got to learn how to function effectively in that realm. Because you cannot access supernatural, miraculous things in your life unless you learn how to access the spirit realm. Your healing, your provision, the promise of God, the power of God is released by the spirit through faith. And faith operates in that spirit realm. You're literally grabbing things by faith in the spirit realm. And, and you're learning how to access it and then bring it into a natural manifestation. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to live supernaturally more in my life. I want to see God do miraculous things in my life. I want that for you too. I hope you want that for you too. If you do, that's why you need to tune in. And you need to listen to what's being shared uh, by your pastors as they get up here and, and teach. Now, my message today I entitled, it's a weird name, isn't it? I want to talk about the incubation of imagination. <laughs> I could have used another word, but I liked how that sounded. Incubation of imagination. Let's read something. You say, what in the world, Pastor Baird? Let's just read something out of Hebrews chapter 6. And I'm going to show you where this whole concept is found in the scripture. Hebrews chapter 6, we read. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. I love that passage. God said, you know, the Lord doesn't say, so help me God. The Lord says, so help me me. He could swear by no one greater. He swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. Now, we know now he's talking to Abraham. Are you, are you hearing the familiar words? And so after he, meaning Abraham, and this is what you need to underline in your technology or in your old school Bible, after he had patiently endured. Let it get in your spirit now. After he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Let's talk right now about the concept of incubation, 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 incubation. Talking like my grandson now. Whenever I hear the word incubate, I think of when I was in grade school because that's when I remember it. I'm sure it was probably in junior high or high school that we'd have in, in the science class what we called the incubator. And the incubator was used in order to put eggs, some animals' eggs, usually chicken eggs, in the incubator with this hot light. It has a light in it. And, and you'd let them sit in there for, for a, a certain amount of time until finally those eggs would hatch. In fact, it didn't happen right away, but, but it, it was used in order that you wouldn't have to have the mom or whoever was the one that laid the eggs in there, and yet they could still come forth with whatever it was in the egg. Now, most dictionaries define the word almost exclusively. If you go look it up, the first thing they'll define it as some machine which you put eggs in. But it's interesting that an incubator rightly defined... If, if I were going to define it, and I did find one dictionary that kind of went uh, this direction, and I was glad to see it. An incubator is a safe place, a controlled environment where a favorable temperature can be maintained, which promotes the development and birth of a potential life. Now, you don't understand what an incubator is. Mothers, women that are here, God gave you a built-in incubator. We men don't have one. But you ladies have one. You have a built-in incubator, and it's called your womb. And when you conceive that baby, even at its most nascent initial moments, your, this womb area in you becomes this incubator. It becomes this safe place. It becomes a controlled environment. There's a favorable temperature. Everything's happening that needs to happen which will promote the development and birth of that potential life that is inside of you. Now just springboarding off of this, the writer of Hebrews tells us that the story of Abraham is referencing God's promise to descendants. That was Abraham and Sarah's promise. That they would receive descendants. Now that may not be important to you, but it was very important to them. And more than that, it was God's will for them. Hear me now, this is, this is the part of teaching in our circles we don't always get. And that is, God's not just up there somewhere in the heavenlies facilitating everything you want. Can, can you say amen to that? I know we all have wants, don't we? 
We all want certain things. Usually most of our wants are generated by our senses. I want a better house. I want a better car. I want a better salary. I want better this. I want a better relationship. I want, I want, and and I'm not saying God will not or does not want to work or has no sympathy with regards to those aspects of your life. I'm not saying that God is not connected to those things in your life. But hear me now. God's highest priority is not facilitating or enabling our wants. His highest priority is facilitating his purposes, his plans, and his will. And this is the part that gets lost. Jesus even came when he, this is what Jesus said. I didn't come for my own agenda. He said these words. I came, I came in order to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus said, I can only speak the words that he gives me. Have you ever noticed how tied Jesus is to the Father? Jesus isn't facilitating some agenda on his own. He's facilitating the Father's agenda. Hear me when I say this, that you and I are here and and, and we're a little veiled in this area that God has a will, he has a purpose, he has a plan. And they're good things for you. In fact, I maintain that the only fulfillment and contentment any person will ever ultimately have is when you're in the middle of God's will. You can do your own thing. My wife works with millionaires who do not know the Lord. Their bank accounts are full, but they are dysfunctional. Because despite their millions, they may not be in the center of God's will. In other words, your bank account can be slim, but you're better off in the center of God's will than if you have tens of millions of dollars in your bank account. Now, we don't teach this much anymore. But it's still biblical. So you have to understand whether Abraham liked it or not. And I think they liked it. I think it was a heart's desire. But God's will for them was descendants. This is my will that you have these descendants. And so when Abraham and Sarah heard God's will as he began to paint this picture for them. Using the stars of the night sky to solicit their imagination. Do you remember Do you remember what both Abraham and Sarah did when they heard that? They laughed. Yeah, right. It was so incredulous, this thing that God was painting on their canvas in front of their eyes. It was so impossible. It was was so over the top. And yet, that promise was captured in their imagination and it literally changed their physical bodies. Are you hearing me? They so captured what God was saying to them, it changed their physical bodies. In fact, it changed it so much, I started thinking about this because later on, and again, this is one of Abraham's highlights because he did some things that that he yielded to his flesh and he lied, I think, on a couple of occasions. But the king Abimelech, when he saw Sarah in her 90s, wanted Sarah as his concubine. I said, Sarah must have been some 90-year-old. That's all I got to say. We won't go there, but she was 90. But this promise wasn't simply the name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it. It wasn't that. This promise was contingent upon Abraham not only having to be patient, but he had to patiently endure. Patiently endure. 
Not to be indelicate, all of these things are swirling around Abraham and Sarah's relationship and, 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 and children and, and descendants. So I'm not wanting to be indelicate or flippant, but, but I'll just say it this way. I'll say conceiving is the exciting part. Incubating is the challenging part. Are you getting what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. All the women said, amen, pastor. Amen. Anybody that's, that's gone through a woman pregnancy knows that your body shifts and changes and all kinds of things. Now, here's what I want to share with you about patiently enduring. I've heard this through the years, and, and there's truth to it. I've heard the, the phrase about receiving or conceiving a promise and then letting it bake in your spirit. Have you ever heard that? It's got to bake like an, in an oven. It's got to bake in your spirit. I had someone come up to me one time and go, hey, it doesn't say bake in your spirit anywhere in the Bible. Okay, and it doesn't say rapture anywhere in the Bible either, so go sit down. But the concept is there. The concept is there. Or building, I've even heard, I think it was Cho that made it famous about building things in your spirit. Basically what's happening is, is that you are patiently enduring. You, you are gaining strength in your faith that what God has painted before your very eyes is real and you're coming to the place where it's coming, it's coming so real inside of you that it's enlarging you. It's, it's growing inside of you. You can feel it kick you. You can feel it bump you. You, you know it's going to happen. And then there's a point and a time when you carry your promise to term. We were with a group last night. And we were talking about this, and it's interesting to me because I didn't know this. My, I think it was my wife that shared this with me on a sermon she was listening to recently. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but, but puppies give birth in how many days? 63 days. Listen to that. Wouldn't that be great, ladies, to have a pregnancy the last 63 days? I have often thought, I've talked to many women, and most of them agree if their pregnancy could go about mm, seven and a half months, they're pretty good with that. They could do that. It's just this nine-month thing. It's those last weeks that pregnancy can be super challenging uh, for most women. But puppies go in 63 days. Is that not incredible? Oh, God, make me a puppy. May my promise be a puppy promise. Elephants, however... Two years. Can you imagine, ladies? All the guys are sitting there going, oh, that'd be terrible. You guys, guys, we don't know anything on this one, all right? So let's just keep it quiet on this one. Two years. An elephant's two years for that promise. Here's the key. You've got to carry your promise to term. How long will that be, pastor? I don't know. How big is your promise? Almost without exception, great characters in the Bible experience this time of patiently enduring. Or in other words, a promise is baking in them. It's, it's incubating in them. And, and let me ask you this. Is, is, is your spirit a safe place that has been developed that nothing can touch my promise? I can't always say that that's been me. But I'm getting this again. That when God drops or when he paints this picture in your imagination of this promise to be able to be able to carry it inside of you in such a way that, that it's, it's protecting you. 
Listen, I know what ladies do. They take vitamins. They take prenatal vitamins. They, you know, maybe on occasion you'll, you'll have a drink, but when you're pregnant, you, there's no alcohol that goes in. I mean, you're very careful what you eat, what you drink, how you handle yourself, the sleep you get, the vitamins you put in. All of these things are important. Why? It's because something, someone is incubating, someone is developing inside of you, and you patiently endure the time until this thing comes forth. Listen to me. All through the Bible, we find people who are incubating a promise. You know, Moses, when he had his burning bush experience and God spoke to him about his destiny, how long did he have to incubate in the wilderness? 40 years, did he not? 40 years. Can you imagine waiting 40 years? I just started reviewing these things, 40 years. Joseph had a promise. God painted it in his imagination with these wild paintings that he probably would have been smarter not having shared them with his brothers. But he shares them and, and he gets thrown in the pit and Potiphar's house and prison. You know the story. And as best as we can figure out, he has to incubate this promise when he was 18 years old uh, for at least around 20 years. David was anointed king over all of Israel. The prophet came and painted this picture for him and yet he has to patiently endure almost 20 years himself. I can go down the list and give you example after example after example. Timetables will be different. And I know that's frustrating because it appears as if God's not being fair. Why did Joseph only spend 20 years and Moses had to spend 40 years? And if that doesn't burn you, why did Jesus only have to spend about 40 days? Well, he's Jesus. All right. Well, I guess I'll give him a break. You hear me? That's how we are. We're looking at somebody. Why, God? Why did you move in their life? They haven't waited half as long as I've had to patiently endure. I don't know. Maybe it's because your promise ultimately will be the elephant. Maybe theirs is the puppy. Doesn't mean that's a bad promise. Doesn't mean it didn't mean that promise. It just says puppies come forth sooner than elephants. So let's talk about this. What is involved in this incubation of our imagination? Now I've already mentioned to you all the things that a woman's going to do with regards to, to carrying her baby to term. I find it interesting. There's an old saying and why they do this with the guys, I don't know. But they'll often say, you know, I remember when you were just a twinkle in your father's eyes. Even, even before conception, there's this twinkle in the father's eyes. What's that twinkle? Is that he knows that, that maybe he has a son or a daughter that's going to come his way. But what do you do between your twinkle and your birth? You patiently endure. So, four things we do in order to patiently endure now this is where the rubber hits the road this is where the tires hit the pavement this is where life really happens this is where we are as a congregation and it's probably where most of us are as individuals we have got these portraits in our in our imagination that have been painted some of them for years and honestly i'm 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 58 years old i know bishop which by the way it's his birthday isn't it bishop isn't it your birthday tomorrow or something like that well, happy birthday, Bishop Fred. As I was saying it, it just kind of dawned on me at that moment. I'd sing happy birthday to you, but that would depress you to hear my voice singing happy birthday to you. But it's in my heart. I'm making melody in my heart that's saying happy birthday to you. 
Hear me though. Some of us have had things painted for years and now we're of the age. We're in the time period <laughs> when we're looking at the Lord going, do you understand how old I am? You, you, uh, you understand? I, I'm, I don't have the same gas in the tank I had 20 years ago. I've got gas, but it ain't in the tank like that. I just, because I'm getting older. Some of you don't know whether to laugh at that or not. Some of you are going, I can't believe he said that. Listen, you're, just be glad I'm not talking about the problems of the aging. But hear me now, what do you think Abraham was feeling? What do you think Sarah was feeling when God's talking to them about this stuff and they're going, do you not get, do you not understand this, God? Do you not get, I'm, I'm 58. Nobody's going to come to a church of a 58-year-old. You've got to be around 38, be able to wear ripped jeans, an iron cross, and have your hair done a certain way with these really thick-rimmed glasses and be cool. Now, if that was me, I'd believe your promise. But look at me. I got slacks and no socks. I'm wearing a blazer. I vibe out old school. I am old school. Don't you get it? If you wanted to do some things in me, Lord, we had that window. That window looks to be closed. What do you think Abraham was saying? Listen, I'm, 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 I'm over 90, my wife's over 90, and I'm, just, I'm simply here telling you this, this, the old body doesn't work like it used to. That, that window has closed. That's the moment that that painting becomes impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And we're about ready to despair, and God steps in and says, with man, it is impossible. But with me, all things are possible. You see, because if I gave it to you at 38, you would have thought the ripped jeans is what did it for you. Yeah, you'd have thought you'd just put on those ripped jeans and that's all it takes. But because you can't wear the ripped jeans and you can't put on the t-shirt and you can't wear your hair that way. Heck, you don't even have any hair anymore. And you're wearing bifocals now and trifocals. And, and, and you're thinking it doesn't work. And I'm telling you, the Lord's saying this. I'm telling you, that's the moment that when, that when the painting comes to pass, there's no other way to explain it except the Lord speaking, it was me who did it. See, that's been our prayer, hasn't it? Oh God, that you would do something that only could be seen by you. We pray these things, but then I don't think we really mean them or believe them. And then he allows, he allows our circumstances to be created such where it actually has to happen that way, and then we're all torn up. What's your promise? What, what have you incubated that doesn't seem like it's going to come to pass? And more than that, what do I do while I'm sitting here in this state, somewhere between the twinkle in the eye when suddenly God spoke to me and something was conceived or, or starting to conceive until this moment when this birth can come to pass and I keep seeing it and it's frustrating me and it shouldn't frustrate me because it was God's picture. I know it was his will. It was his purpose. It was his plan. It's, I would have never thought of it, but God did that to me. What do I do? I'm going to give you four things here. Number one is this, is that you have to keep a clear picture of God's promise in front of you. And I just wrote down here, this takes incredible consecration. 
I cannot escape the point that to see a promise come forth, we must maintain as clear a picture as possible of what God has dropped in our spirit. Again, based on what the Lord has painted, not based on what the carnal heart has generated. For example, I just want to give you this. When you exercise faith, let's say, for healing, or God has painted a picture for you for some kind of healing. Listen, you just don't believe vaguely for healing. You need to believe specifically. I need my eyes healed. I need my arms healed. I need this specific disease to be driven out of my body. I have a picture of whatever it is, God, a purpose. It's, it's with crystal clear clarity. This is, what, this is what my painting looks like, not some vague ambiguity. Well, I just, I just like some more money. Well, no, that's not God. That's not the picture. Why do, is that resource supposed to come? Where is it supposed to go? What's the, what's the purposes of God? Get some specific things in your heart and in your mind. I need, I need these bills paid. I got a utility bill and a house payment and, 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 and I, got, I got a car payment maybe. I, I, got, I got three bills here, Lord. This is what I need resource for. This is what I'm believing you for. The children of Israel needed 40 years in a wilderness to understand that they had to focus specifically on a promised land from God. Their issue, God got them out of their, their bondages, but the key was, is not just God, God, give me, give me some quail, give me some, some cinnamon rolls. It wasn't just, I need some food. God, God resourced them barely in order to keep them moving day to day, but ultimately, they had to get something in their spirit that said, we are no longer grasshoppers, but we are giant killers. Give me that mountain that mountain i don't care about that mountain i want that mountain that mountain i'll never forget i read years ago cho's book on the fourth dimension just came up he said he said he was needing a bicycle to get it was early in his ministry to get from here there all around the seoul inchon area and so he said he was believing god for a bicycle and the lord spoke to him and he said he said to Cho, he said, don't just believe for a bicycle. What kind of bicycle do you want? And Cho said, what do you mean? I mean, what color do you want? Blue. All right, do you want a five-speed, ten-speed, no-speed? Well, ten-speed would be nice. You want handbrakes? Yeah, I'd like handbrakes. Do you need a basket or anything on it to carry things? Well, yeah, I could use one of those too. Well, the Lord said, well, begin, begin to see, be, begin to see what it is that I have for you. Because you're just not needing a bicycle just so you can ride around the park. You're needing a bicycle to do my will, to do my purposes, to do the things I called you to. And you need to begin to be specific. What is it that God has painted in your imagination and begin to use whatever knob it is in there to get a clear picture of what it is? That is God's purpose and plan. Maybe, maybe it's not a 20-year plan. Maybe, it's, maybe you know it's got to be a little quicker than that. It's okay, but let him begin to paint with some clarity what it is that he wants to do in your life. All right, A clear picture of God's promise. Sometimes we patiently endure because we got to get more clarity on what it is that he has painted. Second thing I want to give to you is that we have to have a passion then for that objective you got to get a passion for that objective. Proverbs 10.24 says, The fear of the wicked will come upon him, and the desire of the righteous... Everyone say desire. Desire of the righteous 
will be granted. So you've got to have a desire or a passion for what it is that God has painted on that canvas. If you're just ho-hum about it, then I'm not sure, uh, you know, it's necessarily going to come to pass. There, and that has to be balanced with the whole striving and, and frustrating part. You've you got to know, I think the passion is more of, I know, I know that this, what God has said, and I am not letting it go. I, I, I believe that's what he said. I don't know how it's going to happen, but God's going to bring it to pass, and I have a passion that direction. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord, which I think may be a key to the second half of the passage. Have you delighted yourself in the Lord? Are you happy about the Lord? Are you happy about the things God's happy about? Are, are, you, are you obeying in all the ways God has asked us to obey? Have you delighted yourself? Listen, delighting yourself might be a good sermon sometime as well. Do you delight to get to the house of God? Do you delight to do your devotions? Do you delight to pray? Do you delight to give and to tithe? Do you delight to be obedient? What, do you delight in the Lord? Or is it duty? Do you duty yourself in the Lord? I encourage you, I can, I can affirm your disciplines and your duties. Those aren't evil, but God wants to bring you to a place that your heart is such that you delight yourself in the Lord. I'm happy. I'm really happy about what God's asked me to do. Whatever the purpose is, whatever he asks me to do, I, I delight myself. And this is then what he says, and he shall give you what? The desires of your heart desire of your heart do you passionately desire and want god's will we want god's help but do you want god's will caleb looked at a mountain at 80 years old and said i still want it i saw this thing 40 years ago i can't get it out of my mind i can't get it out of my spirit that mountain out there i still see it i want that mountain not any mountain but i want that mountain that mountain Number three, what do you do when you're patiently enduring or this incubation period? You wait for an assurance of that promise. You wait for an assurance of that promise. Again, this is another lost concept that I think we need to restore uh, because some people think it's kind of old schoolish. But I remember when folks used to use the phrase, we pray till we pray through. I remember that phrase. I don't know that we say that phrase as much. What does that mean, praying through? There is a tension that exists between persistence and faith. Persistence is the lady that went to the judge and she wants something. And she just keeps knocking. I need this. And the judge isn't paying attention to her for a while, but she just she's making a nuisance of herself. She's annoying the judge. It's a parable. And finally, the parable, this is the, what you get from the parable. She has annoyed the judge so much, the judge goes, I, I'm going to do it, get away from me. That's, that's the vibe you get from the parable. And that's, that, that's the point where Jesus said, ask. And literally, literally in the Greek, if you, if you watch the construction, it literally says, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And there is an appropriate place for us to almost annoy God with, with our requests. But, but this is what the old timers understood because they understood the Bible. And, and I believe the word of faith people understood this because they helped us 
assimilate the word, but there's a, there's a tension that exists between the annoyance of God or the persistence before him and finally reaching a place where you have play, prayed through and there's an assurance that comes where you know that you know that you know, not because it's the thing to say or somebody expects you to say it, but it's in your spirit. I have prayed this thing until I have prayed it through. And that is what Paul meant when he said, I believe, having done all, I now stand. You aren't praying about it anymore? No, it's not that I won't bring it before the Lord or I might not thank him. I might come before him and say, Lord, thank you that you're going to bring the promise to pass. But, I don't, but it's not like I have, to, I have to wonder anymore whether this is God's will or not. Now, sometimes you can get to that place of assurance and pray something through. It may only take two minutes on some things. Maybe some things will take two days. Some might take two weeks, two months, two years. I, don't, I can't put a time limit on what it takes for a person to press through in the spirit to the place that they get that assurance. We don't even teach this anymore with regards to salvation. It used to be we teach that you pray until the assurance or the witness of the spirit would come that you were born again. His spirit bearing witness to our spirit that we're the children of God. We don't teach this much anymore because it sounds like works. But honestly, it's not works. It's, it's simply the inner pursuit or desire of what God has said is ours for the taking. But we've got to exercise faith to the place where internally we reach the place where it says it is done. It has happened. It may not be before my eyes, but it is as done inside of me as it is or it will be when it happens outside of me. Assurance. Have we prayed until we've reached that place of assurance. It's interesting that the Hebrew writer would later go on to say that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word substance, literally in some translations, will read assurance. So you reach the place where in your heart, the painting that has been painted in front of you, you prayed to the place where it has become I'm talking internally now. It has become substance. It has become assurance. It has become something that's as real. I've already seen it. It's real. It's not here, but it's on its way. It's just like that baby inside of the mom. I can't see it, but it's kicking me. I, I, can't, I can't diaper it. I can't, I can't hold it, but it's inside of me, and it's as real as if they're already here. We don't do this anymore. And I think that's probably why God's asking me, you got to pray, pray, pray till you get some assurance on some things. What we do is we get an idea and then we yank God on the end of it and say, bless what I just thought of. I, I have a great idea here. Now, Lord, you bless it. And God says, I'm not obligated to bless anything except my plan and my purpose. That has such ramifications. Finally, number four, this is where we're going to end today. You've got to demonstrate the evidence of your assurance. Faith without works is what? So in other words, you, you don't have faith unless you're willing to act on that which you believe. Demonst while you're patiently enduring, you've got to demonstrate evidence. 
Again, I'm just using the baby birth. What, 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 what do we do when we know a baby's on the way? We go and prepare a nursery, right? We go and, we go and buy, buy 10,000 diapers. Because we know we'll burn through those the first week of the revival, uh, of the arrival of that baby. We paint the nursery. We get the crib. We, get, we put everything. We, we put all the stenciling up. We get the nice bumpers. We do everything. We buy things that the baby's not even going to use for about three years, and we put it in the room. And, but, but we do all of these things. Why? Because we're evidencing that which hasn't even come yet. When God puts these things in our spirit... There's, there's a moment we have to not only say yes, but we have to act on that yes. One of my favorite passages is this. For all the promises of God in Him are what? Yes, and in Him, amen, or so be it. To the glory of God through us. That's why He brings about a promise. It's not for your convenience or because He just, you know, it's not all about you. He brings about His promises for the glory of Himself through us. In other words, he heals you, he blesses you, he prospers you, he enlarges you, he does all of these things, not because you're all that in a bag of chips, he does it because he glorifies his own name in that act. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who, has also, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as what? A guarantee. This is back to the assurance. The Holy Spirit is in me, beating out this yes to His promise. And because that Holy Spirit is in me, beating out this yes, that is the guarantee that because I believe Him in me is greater than what I see, that becomes my guarantee that what He has said will come to pass. We need to hear this again. Because I believe none of us here needs more faith. Remember, Jesus said... How much faith? The faith the size of a what? That's all the faith you need to do a lot. But we have to speak faith and also act on faith. I was just reading this a few years ago. There was a scientific study done, this is true, out of Japan. A person poured two glasses of water, scientific study, poured two glasses of water out of the same faucet, and for several weeks, they spoke to these glasses of water. I know it sounds weird, doesn't it? They said to the one glass of water, you are dirty, you are filthy, nobody can drink you. You're yucky, you taste bad, and just spoke everything they could think negative. And then to this other glass of water, now it just sounds silly, doesn't it? You are pure, you are refreshing. People, people love your taste. And they just did this, I, I think, for several weeks. Then they put the water under microscopes and looked at it. came out of the same faucet at the same time. And the water particles were different. They had shifted. They were different because of the words that were spoken at that inanimate glass. Is that not remarkable how creation responds to what we say? 
But it's more even than just speaking. We have to begin to act on that. We have to begin to take it from the speaking and the creation begins to move that we have to start to act on it because that's what faith looks like. So what does is, what is acting in faith look like at times? Well, for some of us, it's pretty, it's pretty simple, I think. And that is we can pray. Let's say we want to pray about being better witnesses. Well, you've got to start acting on it. And, and you've got to believe and start conversations. Some of us think that God is going to prosper us in greater ways. This is, you just take it before the Lord. But if God's going to prosper you in greater ways, then maybe you need to nudge up what it is. And, and, and I've heard this done, and I've done this myself. We'll nudge what we call our tithe up. Because I make X amount of dollars. Let's say I make $1,000, and $100 would be my tithe. Then you know what? I make $1,000, but I'm going to start giving $12, $120, because I'm going to make, I'm going to make $1,200 or I mean, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? What do I have to act on? What is the next step in order to act on that which I know is inside of me? How am I going, how am I going to make the nursery for the baby that's incubating inside of me by way of promise? I'm going to conclude with this. Thank you, by the way. All the kids that stayed, thank you. You did great today. You're absolutely perfect. And parents, we love providing kids church, and we'll do our best to train them. But this, this, today was the perfect example of our kids being able to sit with pastor and participate in adult worship. And I thank you. I thank all of you. I thank parents for helping them, and I thank the kids. You guys did great today. I'll finish with this story, and I'm done. Many of you have heard of the name Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know Arnold? I'll be back. Hasta la vista, baby. Everybody, everybody can do Arnold. Arnold was born in a small town in Austria. He did not even know English. His dad was a police chief. They were poor. They actually lived in a rent-free house that the town provided for the family because of his dad's status in the police department. When Arnold was young, around 10 years old, he began to go to movies. And in those movies, he would see newsreels of America. And he would begin to dream. I'm reading from his own biography. He continually say, one day I'm going there. One day I'm going to go there. How he was going to get there, nobody knew. Nobody could afford to get him there. There was certainly no money available to get him there. They had no family in America, but something inside of him said, one day, I'm going there. And because of those newsreels, he began to imagine. Now, I'm, I'm giving you a story that's not even righteous necessarily, righteous imagination. I'm just talking about a power that exists inside of all of us. He began to imagine. But the question is, how? I, I, he, he, he had a dream to get to America, but how? How was he going to do this? Well, he had film heroes. He enjoyed watching John Wayne movies and Clint Eastwood movies and Kirk Douglas movies. And so he said to himself, I'll be a film star. But how can you be an American film star when you don't speak English? So he kept going to the movies, trying to repeat the lines in the movie that he would be hearing over and over and over again until he began to learn English by watching the movies. And of course, he had a terrible accent, in our opinion. But then he would see these B. Hercular movies, Hercules movies, Hercules movies. And when I say B, they weren't very well done. It's like old spaghetti westerns. 
not very well-crafted movies. You know the movies where the lips don't match what they're saying? You know, they were, ma they were made in some country, and they put English, and, and uh, <laughs> there's Japanese movies like that with Godzilla. I remember they, the mouth would be going like this, and they'd be going, it'd just be going like this for about that long. And it'd be like, I'm scared. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's those old crazy movies. But what he saw in those Hercules movies was this. There were these, these guys that were, that were muscular. And so he said, I know what I'll do. I'll be a bodybuilder. And so he goes to the gym and he begins lifting weights in order to be a bodybuilder. Why? Because he had this picture that had been painted about him being able to go to America in order to be a film star. And so he began to learn the language and he began to go to the gym and he began to do all of those things he was acting, listen, he was beginning to act on that which was painted before he even was able to walk into the painting. Now hear me, that's, that's Arnold. We all know where Arnold ended up. Whatever you think of Arnold, that's, that's basically the story of how he eventually got to America and became this big film star. He acted, he began he began to do something that acted on what he knew the picture was in front of him. This is my question. That's, that's really unrighteous use of the imagination. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't know where Arnold is, but my, my suppositions are he may not be in a righteous condition. He may be. I'm no judgment from me. I just know some of the movies he's been in through the years. But I'm just putting out to you if... If an unrighteous use of the imagination can produce such powerful results, what do you think God, who created that imagination in you for his purposes, and along with the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you, what do you think he might do if we determined that we could act in some way, begin to move some way in a faith step, some way in order to begin to position ourselves for the Lord? To literally create that painting that he put in front of us. Listen, I've said this to the Lord before. I didn't ask you to paint that painting. I didn't twist your arm to paint that painting. You just painted the painting. So if you painted it, then I'm just going to believe you. That all your promises are yes and amen. And then the question becomes, now, what are you going to do, Kevin, to make sure faith without works doesn't become dead in you? Now, apply that right now. What's God saying to you? Come on, what's God saying to you? That picture. You say, I don't even know that I have a picture. Then go get a clear picture again. Get your assurance. Pray through. Make sure it's the Lord. Is this his promise? You saw the four things you can do to patiently endure for that day. I don't know about you, but I believe, I believe just like Abraham, I'm the seed of Abraham. And there's a day coming when that painting is going to come to pass. How about you? You believe that? I want you to stand with me, will you? I'm going to pray now. I'm going to pray for people and their paintings. Right now. If God has painted on the canvas of your imagination, listen, and, and maybe you let it go. I know there are times, it seems like several paintings that I've painted through the years that I, I'm now asking myself, maybe that was the Lord. And maybe I've let it go. And maybe I need to re, 
re-pray and re-seek God. And maybe there's, maybe there's more here. Maybe, maybe I let it go before I should have. Maybe I wasn't patiently enduring. I don't know. I don't have answers totally for all that I feel like has been painted in front of my face. And I don't have answers for what God may have painted in front of your face, but I read you part of the, the solution today, and that is we've got to patiently endure. If you feel like time's escaping you, join the club. But you're just being positioned for a greater miracle. So, Lord, I pray, I pray today for the assurance of hope to come to folks in this room. Lord, I'm sure there are dreams that are really unimaginable if they were to be shared with all of us we'd look and go wow that's incredible in fact we'd almost be scared to share our dreams some of them are so incredible and so they're ours before you but i'm praying now for an assurance to come to your people an assurance that will come that says yes and amen for this is the promise of god that we would be as convinced as abraham and sarah though their bodies be dead that, God, you could literally, because of, of your power, bring life to mortal bodies again in order to bring your will and your plan to pass. Lord, help us. Help each person here. I'm praying as if I was holding everybody's hand. I was shaking the men's hands or, or I grabbed uh, the ladies' hands. And if I was praying for them individually right now and I could say your name right now, I'd, I'd say, God can yet do this. It's not too far gone. It's not beyond all hope. Abraham, the Bible said, had to hope beyond hope. So when he ran out of hope, he had to hope again. I'm telling you that you're no different than Abraham. And if I could say your name and speak that into your ears, you need to hear it. Lord, I pray for assurance to come again. I pray for the optimism of God to come again to people. That the better day is ahead. That, Lord, a greater moment yet will arrive. And, Lord, I not only pray for every individual this way, whoever they may be, I'm speaking to you as an individual, but now, Lord, I'm going to lasso everybody in the room together as a group and say for us as a people, just like the children of Israel, Lord, we know we've been in wilderness, but now, Lord, let us be of the generation that no longer sees ourselves as grasshoppers, but as giant killers. That the things you have said are true and that you will bring them to pass if we faint not and we patiently endure. Patiently endure doesn't mean being frustrated doesn't mean getting all stressed out it doesn't mean striving it doesn't mean it means you patiently endure you pray you seek god you thank him if you've got your assurance just keep thanking him keep thanking him and keep thanking him lord thank you thank you that you're going to do exactly what you said you're going to do thank you i honor you and you'll be honored in it lord as a group as a congregation we will honor you for we truly say that without you, nothing's going to happen. But with you, anything can happen. Let us be of that nature. Let us be of that faith. As we go now our separate ways. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all the people said, amen, amen and amen. Can you lift your hands and say, I got my picture. 
I got my picture. Amen and amen. All right, encourage each other. Thanks again to all the kids. You did great. So hug.